what an amazing um, time of worship. Thank you very much for leading us in that. And, and I was just really overwhelmed with the presence of God. And I, I think that was such, a, such an apt thing to do just with our hearts. I've been watching this program, uh, The Good Doctor. Anybody seen that? It's uh, this autistic do doctor. And, but sometimes it gets real graphic, which my wife hates the fact that it, it pops up on the screen so fast she doesn't have time to cover her eyes. But, you know, like they have heart bypasses. And I never really thought about the intensity of that, where they actually take your heart offline and they have a machine that actually pumps your blood and does the heart for you. And what an incredible thing. Your heart's actually not functioning, but your blood's still flowing. And I just felt like God says, hey, I've got a setup like that for you today. Your heart may not be prepared to receive all that God has for you, but I can put your heart on a heart bypass. Right? I can give you more than what you're actually capable to receive right now. Does anybody want more than what they think they could, they could handle? Yeah, and God is able to actually do that. So all right now I want to declare that over you, that right now there's a connection straight from heaven where your heart is being plugged in to a different machine, the, the resources of heaven that you're able to receive more of the lifeblood of God himself than your mind is able to handle, than you deserve, than your heart is even prepared for because of the work of the cross. Wow. Hallelujah. Well, um, I'm John Clancy, and um, we lived in Orkney and led a church in Orkney for, uh, we were in Orkney for around nine years. Before that, we landed in Paisley when we first moved here. Yep. I got to know Keith there. Mary Lou was our, was, was the nursery teacher for my, my eldest two daughters. So that was just really cool and got to know um, others in this church. And uh, when we were up in Orkney, I just had such a, a, a realization that this land, Scotland, is built for revival. And in order for that to happen, every church in Scotland needs to be, uh, be geared up and touched by the Spirit. Moved from spirit of religion to the spirit of grace and freedom and life. And part of what we wanted to do is connect. We, had, we connected with Andy. I, I was saying, God, show me some leaders across Scotland who I can connect with. And um, Robbie Morrison, who was leading healing rooms at the time, came up to Orkney. And I said, Robbie, who's really going for it in Scotland? And he gave me two names, and one of them was Andy Merrick. And so I, I phoned Andy. I was traveling quite a bit to England and said, Andy, would you meet me for coffee? And Andy said, yes, let's meet. And th there was connection right away. So when he was thinking about starting a group, he didn't know what it was going to be called, but he gathered a few leaders from around Scotland, and I was part of that group. And that turned into Kingdom Legacy. And um, out of Kingdom Legacy, there really is this sense in which we're building momentum to see churches not only in Scotland, but move in that transition from being churches where maybe they've been stuck or maybe they've been going for it, but just together we're seeing more momentum. So that's, um, that's Kingdom Legacy. I'm still enjoying that. We're planting a church, but I don't want to tell you too much of that story because I've got some other things I'm really excited to talk about. Um, can, can we just say this? You know, um, 
Chuck Perry, uh, who I'm in a revival group with, he has this thing where he always says, this, this simple prayer, he is here. And it's just an acknowledgement. The God of the universe is here. Can we say that together? He is here. He is here. Yeah. I'm going to ask you to say quite a few things. I hope you don't mind. I know not everybody likes that. If you don't like it, just pretend you're saying it. You don't even have to do that. Say it again with me. He is here with an emphasis on the he. He is here. Yeah, the God of the universe. Uh, let's just try it one more time with an emphasis on the is. Because there's lots of things that can tell you that he's not here. He is here. <laughs> uh, uh, let's, uh, let's have the emphasis on the last word. Uh, he is here. Yeah, right here. Wow. I ha also had this other thing I felt like God was saying we could say it together. It, it, and I'm going to read a verse to you. And every time I say the word hope, if you could say, that's my God. Right? You don't even have to say it all together. Just, that's my God. Right? Here's this verse. It's going to be in there twice. I'll just give you a heads up. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> Should we do that again? One more time? Alright, one more time. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Come on. When do I stop again? To quarter to 12. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> I want to tell you this story. Um, I love Bethel Church. When I was in Orkney, I was quite isolated up there. And it, it, at times it was really difficult. And I said to my leaders, I, I would love to be in some sort of program, maybe do a master's. And just where I don't have to, when I'm, when I'm really tired and weary and I need some encouragement, I have one source to go to. And, you know, I, I, I don't think, oh, what should I, what should I listen to? And um, they were like, look, you're, you're new into church leadership. It would be a really bad idea to do a master's right now. You've got six kids. Your life is already really full. I'm like, yeah, but I, you know, I just take stuff on. So why not, you know? But in that time... I found, I, I, I was looking on YouTube for something to listen to. I found a 25-minute sermon by Chris Valentin on identity. And you can still find this. It's like a Chris Valentin sermon that's all the, there are no boring bits. But a lot's been edited down and crunched into 25 minutes. And I was like, this is solid. Like, this is just stuff that resonates with what I believe. And I ended up getting a subscription to Bethel TV which, which was the highest platform, so I could watch all of their conferences. So through the, through the year, I would just watch one sermon at a time. I'd be exercising, and I would attend all of their conferences through Bethel TV, every single one. And I was just 
like, yes, this is so nourishing and so awesome. And it began a relationship with Bethel Church. I'm also part of Bethel Leaders Network, and I connect with them regularly through that. But I had never actually been there. And as part of Bethel Leaders Network, they asked me to be part of a young apostolic group, and they invited me to this conference, and it was a real honor. And if they would have invited me two years ago, I would have felt pretty good about going. I would have been able to say, yes, I've been part of this, and I've done this, and I've done that. I had plenty of things on my spiritual CV. I could have justified my existence as part of this apostolic group. But we moved down and gave up much, almost everything of that, or had it taken away one way or the other, and we moved to plant a church in between the two lockdowns. And when the second lockdown hit, like, um, basically everything fell apart with what we were trying to do. And so it was a time where outwardly and inwardly I felt much like a failure. And here is this church saying, oh yeah, come down and do this thing with a bunch of other really important people. Does anybody know Joaquin Evans? Joaquin Evans is, is part of this group. And every time we would meet, I'd get stuck in, uh, not stuck, I was so blessed to be in a breakout room with Joaquin. But like in testimony times with Joaquin, can, that can be pretty tough. They, they see amazing stuff and like, you know, and I started to do this thing where I was measuring myself. So I end up at Bethel and it was an amazing time. Like I, any of the stuff I had to worry about, I didn't have to worry about. Like they, they saw me according to the spirit and not according to the natural. And it just, it was just amazing but I had this incredible experience that I want to tell you about in worship. I was in worship, and, you know, like Dave Harvey said, oh, come and sit in the second row, you know. And I'm like, oh, wow. So I'm sitting right behind Chris Valentin. He's like one of my heroes. I'm like, this is, this is crazy. And we're worshiping, and, and all of a sudden, I'm like, I can see this picture vividly of the throne room, and I'm an observer in the throne room of God. You read through Revelations 4, 5, and 6, and you get some glimpses into this picture, into this scene while I was seeing it. And there's, a, there's a, a throne, and there are the elders laying on their faces. And from the throne is coming this stream, like rainbow color, like somebody had a fire hydrant, and they were blasting the elders with it. It was rainbow colored, and it was like washing over their heads. And the, the look on their faces is pure intensity. Like just, and there's tears flowing from their eyes. And I realize that the rainbow is like all of the different attributes of God. So mercy, love, you know, God is love. In his presence, there's the fullness of joy, the fullness of joy, right? This kind of intensity of joy would kill you on earth. But in heaven, these guys have these bodies that are actually capable to receive the fullness of joy. In his presence, there is perfect peace. There was peace. So they're receiving the fullness of joy, peace, mercy, love, righteousness, holiness, glory, all of these things in one stream. And they're able to take it all in. Right? And they're just like, tears are flowing from their eyes, and they're just like, worthy. 
holy. You are merciful. All of what they were receiving, they're saying back in worship. Now, it tells us in Scripture that they worshipped Him, but usually when I hear that, I think it's coming from them to Him. It's something that they're choosing to do. But in this picture, it was simply a response of what they were experiencing. You know how Jesus said to the, to the woman at the well, there will come a time when you will worship in spirit and in truth? The truth of what they were experiencing, the incredible nature of God, His holiness and His mercy, His love and His peace, everything wrapped up in one stream that is His presence and His glory, the weightiness of it, it's just simply coming out as a response. You are worthy. You are holy. You are righteous. And they worshiped. Oh, spirit of wisdom and revelation, would you open our eyes to see the truth of who you are? Whew. And then I looked down, and there were their crowns laying there. Ornate and beautiful, but mere trinkets in comparison to, to the real treasure of that room. What did their crowns... What did that matter? If you were ever wearing a crown and you tried to bow down or lay on the floor, I think it would be very hard for that to stay on your head. They're not form-fitted. They don't have those neat little straps that baseball caps have. Even if you have a sticky head like mine. And God said to me in that moment as the crowns are laying there and they're receiving this thing, you will never take off your crown if you think you need it to be in my presence. You'll never take it off if you think that's what qualifies you to be in my presence because you love my presence and you want to be where I am. And if you think you have to have it on your head to stand in my presence, you'll never have the courage to take it off. But you don't need it. And I looked in the front row behind me and in front of me. I opened my eyes and I saw all these guys. And I realized none of them felt like they had anything to prove. And I had come there feeling like I had measured myself. And, and in, in essence, the analogy is I didn't feel like my crown was good enough. I was questioning whether I still had a crown. And the good news for each and every one of you is you have a crown. But what's even better than that is you have Him. And you don't actually need your crown. The crown is a mere symbol of authority. It's not the authority itself. So there's a, I felt like God was saying to, uh, to write a book about the, the confidence of the uncrowned. And so I'm going to try to wrap that up in about 14 minutes. Um, 
But there were three things I felt the Lord saying that he's setting people free from out of this. Addictions that he's setting people free from. And I'm going to tell you what the three of them are, and then I'm going to spend the most time on the last one. Out of this uncrowned confidence, the Lord is setting people free from an addiction to measuring yourself. This is where you keep wondering whether I'm worthy of the crown that I've, that I've been giving. Oh, am I worthy of it? You keep taking it off, but not because your eyes are on Him, but you take it off because uh, I'm, I don't know if I'm worthy of this. And you don't always walk in the authority that you're given because you're, you're, you're measuring yourself as to whether you're worthy of the thing that's been given to you. The second one, he's setting people free from addiction to the significance that's determined by the size of your platform. Where you feel more significant if you're given a chance to preach. Where you feel more significant if you get more likes on your photo. Where you feel more significant if you have more friends. And you don't have a lot of friends, so you don't feel significance. How many followers you have. How much, uh, what kind of car you drive. How, uh, how much you get paid. And you feel more significant. The Lord is setting people free from an addiction to significance determined by the size of your platform. And He's also setting people free from the glory of man. Now, glory in the Bible is a very interesting concept because it means lots of different things. So I'm going to tell you, and we're going to spend the most amount of time on that one, but this is where you get confused about who gives you your crown. When you're, when you, sorry, the second point, when you're questioning, when you're getting set free from an addiction to significance determined by the size of your platform, this is where you wonder whether the crown that you've been given is actually effective. Whether you, whether, you, whether you wonder whether you can actually do stuff with the authority that you've been given. You know, I, I have a crown, but I just don't know how powerful it is. And you, my friends, are powerful not because of who you are or what you've achieved or how much luck you've had or what situation you've been born into. You're powerful because of who clothed you in himself. And that's a work that he did on your behalf. And it's true whether you believe it or not. <laughs> so you might as well believe it and start to walk in it. <clears throat> the glory of man, this is uh, the need to be accepted and validated by those around you. Sometimes even complete strangers. You feel good about yourself when other people say good things about you. And when they recognize your achievements... And you feel bad about yourself when other people speak negative about you. Does that apply to anyone? Probably all of us. Those of you who didn't raise your hands. I don't know if you're <laughs> being honest with me. Let's face it. It's true of all of us. All of us feel good when people are saying good things about, about you. And all of us feel rubbish when someone's saying something rubbish about you. But there's a, there's a scale isn't there? And the Lord is wanting to set people free of being so um, locked up and bound by the opinions of others that you never feel free to be you. And God made you to be you. And, there, and I, I got, this is sort of bad news, but it comes with good news. The bad news is that when you try to be you, there is always going to be people that Satan will use to make you feel condemned for being you. 
But the good news is that God, His voice is bigger and He made you to be you. He created you to be you. And He gives you the freedom to be you. But you've got to be willing to let go of what other people think of you. So we're going to spend time on this one, the glory of man. Now Jesus was free of this. He said in John 5.41, I do not receive the glory from men. Right? Now what did that mean? Because people praised Him all the time. In fact, when He healed all the lepers and, you know, only one came back, He's like, where are the other nine? How come they didn't want to come and give God glory? But this thing is that it, it, there were people who worshipped Him and like the woman with the alabaster jar, we're going to talk more about her. She is so precious and she comes and she gives everything that she has to Him. Anoints Him for her burial. And He doesn't push her away. He doesn't say, oh, I don't receive the glory that comes from man. Sorry. Give the glory to your Father. You know, in a religious way, in a false humility way, He receives that. So what does this mean? I don't receive the glory from men. Well, it's contrasted with the glory that comes from God. He was not dependent in His identity of who He was based on what any person said. And so He knew that if He was going to reject the negative thoughts that other people had towards Him, He also had to reject the thing that people were just empty praises. Because He said, I know what's in the heart of people. In other words, people are fickle. And I'm not going to put my identity, I'm not going to rest it in the hands of other people. So he did not receive the glory that comes from men. Let's read a little bit more of that section. Again, verse 41, but we're going to read it straight through to verse 44. I do not receive the glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. Interesting statement. The love of God. We're talking about receiving praise and he talks about the love of God. And the, a little spoiler alert, there's an antidote to receiving the glory of men in the love of God. I do not receive the glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, basically looking to make a big name for himself, you will receive Him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from God? How can you believe when you do not receive the glory when you receive the glory that comes from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Three points here. Receiving glory from one another is corrosive to faith. Jesus says, how can you believe? In other words, it's impossible to believe when you're seeking the glory that comes from people. It's an antithesis. It's impossible. You cannot believe when you start to become dependent on the glory that comes from people. And there is a glory that comes from people. The glory that we're talking about here is... Um, it's honor, it's praise, it's recognition of men. That's what the glory of man is. And these things are not bad, but they can't be the, the, the thing that plugs into your heart's source. You know how we talked about that bypass? 
the heavenly bypass, the danger is that the world also has a bypass. And the bypass that the world would like to have you plugged into is the glory of men. And it promises to sustain. It promises to get you through how you're feeling about yourself. The lowness that you might be feeling when you're dealing with your own failures, when you're dealing with unanswered prayer and frustrations and questions, the glory that comes from man is right there with false promises saying, hey, just plug me in. I'll be okay. You'll be okay. I'll help you out. Receiving glory from one another is corrosive to faith. Why? Because you can't have your value determined by God and determined by man at the same time. The good news is that the value that God attributes to you is so much higher. The same people who criticize you, they're not going to die for you. But God displayed how much your value is to Him by even while you were still yet a sinner. He said, this is how much I love you. Look at the life of Jesus. Look at my life. I was perfect in every way. But this is how much I loved you that I would rather die on a cross than be apart from you for one minute. Wow. That's where your value is determined. And the love of God is an effective vaccine against the corrosive glory of man. It's 100% effective. It's probably worth taking um, daily boosters of the love of God. Um, the good news is you do not have to book. It's a walk-in clinic every single day. Yeah, you just walk in, boom, get a booster, and the love of God will protect you from uh, feeling like you need to be boosted by other people. Because his love is so powerful, just put yourself back in the position of those elders. Jesus wasn't holding anything back. The cross was a message. I hold nothing back. I give you everything. My last drop of blood, my last breath. And he did that in a state of weakness. How much more in a state of glory? The last point I want to mention from this is that that last verse, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. We are to seek the glory that comes from God. We are to actually seek it out. You were made for glory. This is why when the world offers you some glory, it's so tempting to take it. Because you were made for glory. You were made for glory. But you were made for the real stuff, not the counterfeit. Now, we don't have loads of time to talk about the glory exchange. But if you read through the book of John, particularly from like 6 onwards, and you look at every time Jesus mentions the word glory, it's very fascinating. Because Jesus talks about, you know, He doesn't glorify Himself. That if He glorified Himself... It wouldn't, it, he would be like them. He'd be like the world. But he glorifies the Father, and then the Father glorifies him. And he's constantly aiming to glorify the Father, and the Father is glorifying him. 
And it's this weird thing, like he's not trying to glorify himself. He's never doing that, but he also doesn't reject the glory that comes from the Father. But his focus is always on the Father. He only does what he sees the Father doing. His hope is always to glorify the Father in everything. And the Father constantly gives glory to the Son. And there's a path in there for us to learn uh, our own focus that, that we can walk through this life. Now, you are made for glory, but you, the good news is you don't have to carry it yourself. You never have to glorify yourself. You only keep your eyes on the Father. And He will give you glory. And that feels like, oh, should I even touch the glory of God? That feels a little bit, um, you know, messed up. But listen to these words. It, it, you know, Jesus, Jesus said in John 8.50, I do not seek my glory, but there is one who seeks and judges. Listen to this in John 17, 21. Jesus' prayer. And this is for all of us. That they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. And as you know, we are woven into this love relationship between the Father and Son. Jesus has taken us into himself and woven us into this beautiful, loving relationship between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then he said, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them. To you. The glory which the Father gave to Jesus, he gives to who? Raise your hand if the verse applies to you. Almost everybody. No, the verse applies to you. I guarantee it. I and them and you in me that they may be perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. That stream coming from the elders, it's actually washing over you right now. You might not feel it. You might not see it. But that's what Jesus did for you. He is not holding back one iota of His mercy, of His power, of His love, of His glory, of His joy, of His peace. I know there are some of you who don't feel it. I know there are some of you who don't know it. The good news is it's true. He displayed it on Christ Jesus that he will hold nothing back. And the process of the renewal of the mind is the process of partnering with the Spirit, the Spirit of wisdom and revelation, to help us see, feel, live, and walk according to the truth instead of according to the false template that the world has been teaching you since you were brought into a broken and fallen world. And, you know, so we just say, Holy Spirit, just come and open the eyes of our hearts. Just open the eyes of our hearts. 
Lord, if you don't do it, how can we do it? Spirit of wisdom and revelation, I want to, come, I want to ask you to come right now and reveal in your power, God, according to your faithfulness and according to the work of the cross. Just open the eyes of our hearts. For some, I feel like that's happening maybe for the first time. For others, it's happening in a greater degree. For others, they feel absolutely nothing. But God, I know that you are able and faithful to give dreams in the night. To give whispers throughout the day, even when people are not seeking you. Because before we had done anything good, you loved us. And you gave yourself for us in Christ. You know, there's these two stories of these two women in Scripture. The woman with the alabaster jar. Oh, we're out of time. I'll, I'll just tell you what they are, then you can read them yourself. The woman with the alabaster jar and the woman with the issue of blood. The woman with the, issue, the alabaster jar, she poured out everything. Everything she had. Now, the, the similarities in these two stories are that neither of them should have touched Jesus. The woman with the issue of blood was considered unclean. And Jesus was an oppressed crowd. And she did not care about that crowd. She, she was pressing through herself to just touch him. She knew if she could just touch him, she would be healed. And the woman with the alabaster jar was a prostitute. And there she was in a meeting of all these religious professionals and experts sitting there, you know, judging her telling her she shouldn't be there because of everything she did. She had sex out of marriage. That's like the worst thing you can do in Christian circles. You know? And there she was in that place with all these men judging her, speaking to one another about her. And she's there Weeping. Why is she weeping? Because he's not kicked her out. He's not joined in. He sat there and let her cry on his feet and wipe his feet with her hair. And then in Luke's version of the story, Luke tells us why that happens. And Jesus says, because she's been forgiven much. And she's overwhelmed with this love. What would the story be like if she cared so much about what they thought? She would never be in that situation. And friends, there are, I, I want to tell you there are going to be rooms you're going to be invited into and places in your life where people are going to judge you for how you love Jesus. And what I want to say is He does not. He does not reject you. For whatever you've got going on in your life, He doesn't measure you according to your failure. He measures you according to the size of His love for you and according to the gift that was given to you. He doesn't value you according to what you've accomplished for Him. He values you according to His, his Son and the price that was paid on your behalf. Wow. Wow. So let's stand and, and we'll pray. Father, right now, I just want to pray. We already prayed for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to come. I just want to pray that people would be free to cry and to, and to let their tears fall on Jesus' feet. And I'm, I'm not talking about right now. I just mean in their life that they'd be free emotionally to do what they need to do. I want to pray for hearts to be unlocked right now in Jesus' name. 
I want to pray for fresh fire, fresh encouragement, fresh love, fresh revelation of that stream. Lord, I thank you for the reality of the stream, that it is not a fantasy. Lord, it's truth. And I pray, Lord, that you'd allow the fulfillment of that, that prophecy that Jesus prophesied that there will come a day when people worship in spirit and in truth. I declare that over this church. That this will be a church who understands the truth of how they're loved. That this will be a church who understands in whose worship is a simple response. I know that's already on this church. I declare it's already on this church. But He's taking you from glory to glory. Great. Well, thank you very much, guys, for having me here. Much love to you.